Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Winging It with Vince Carter and Annie Finberg is back in full swing for its second season. Catch up on recent episodes with guests like Wyclef Jean, who talks about growing up in Haiti, hip-hop as a teacher, and performing with a goat. And you can hear from tennis phenom Coco Goff on beating Venus Williams at 15 years old. You can listen to Winging It on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Vernon, and joining me as he does every Friday from TheRinger.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, a.k.a. Kevin O'Concert, Kevin O'Conflict, Kevin O'Camera, Kevin O'Climber, Kevin O'Candyland, Kevin! Berno, what's going on? We had drama last night on the NBA. Oh my goodness, did we have drama. Let's start with the games, and then we'll get to the off-court drama. Uh, There was a huge game last night between the 76ers and the Celtics. We knew that the 76ers were going to be without Joel Embiid, as they will be for the uh, distant future, it seems, uh, with bad news coming out on him yesterday. But a very good Sixers win last night. Uh, Did you have any big takeaways from watching them without Embiid but still being able to knock off Boston? Well, with with Embiid being out for however long it might be with the finger injury, uh, undergoing surgery for that, Philadelphia is going to have to figure out what they are defensively. And in last night's game against Boston, I'm I'm not exactly sure there's a whole lot to pull from that because you want Philadelphia to have their defense centered around Joel Embiid because of the offensive presence that he is. However, what we did see last night was intriguing, though. With the spacing that they have with Horford playing more at the five and what that provided for the overall offense, it's interesting. But but ultimately, though, I, I the Sixers won that game because of their defense, though. Uh, they stagnated Boston's offense, especially in that fourth quarter when they held Boston to just 18 points because of their length, because of their versatility, because of their effort, led by Ben Simmons, who was great on that end of the floor, and Josh Richardson as well. And Horford had one of his better games overall the season so it's intriguing to still see them in game one without Embiid still be stellar like they can be on the defensive end of the floor it's been inconsistent for them but maybe over this time they can find some consistency well and the fascinating thing was in that particular game if we are if we are drawing from these games to look ahead to what these teams would look like in a seven game series the question is you know you, you you could probably get that Al Horford you could probably get that Tobias you could probably get that Ben Simmons How often do you get that Josh Richardson, who really was like the Jimmy Butler role and the most productive guy on the floor with uh, 29 points and also, you know, leads leads a team in assists. You know, he it was like for for the one night, Richardson turns into Jimmy Butler's going to the free throw line 10 times. You know, as I said, he dishes out seven assists. He's got 29 points like over the course of a seven game series. How many times do you get? that guy and do you ever get that guy when everybody's healthy that's what i wrote about before the season i wrote about potential breakout players or guys that could swing the fortunes of a team one way or the other and Richardson was one of the guys on that list because of what he's been the past couple of years with Miami. He was more of a three and D role guy who didn't need to do a lot off the ball or with the ball in his hands. Then he got better with the ball in his hands. He got better as a shooter, 
But last year, he sort of plateaued from what he was before, and he's still a really, really good player. But this year, it was like, okay, now he can fill Jimmy Butler's shoes, and he can be the guy who can take on more of that on-ball responsibility, running more pick-and-rolls, throwing passes, racking up assists, as you just mentioned he did last night. So we saw what you want him to be at, at his best. Whether he can do this consistently or not, probably not. Just because of the level of shooter he is, he's not a guy who's going to beat you off the dribble from outside, whether it's deep mid-range or from with pull-up threes. He's not a guy who's typically going to get to the basket a whole lot. Uh, Boston is sort of lacking in rim protection, so that probably helped him in getting to the rim. So for Richardson to do this, there, he needs to have games like this. But I don't think this is something that they can rely on with any consistency like you could with somebody like Jimmy Butler. And that ties into one of the issues with like the idea of using Ben Simmons all the time as a screener. Over the, the past week, Philadelphia has used him more frequently as an on-ball screener. And that's a way to get him going because he can, he can be like Blake Griffin. He can be like Draymond Green as a screener and pick apart defenses. But without that high pick-and-roll ball handler, like a, like a Kyrie or even like a Kemba or a Dame or a Chris Paul, all these guys who are great in the pick and roll without that player, it limits what the screener can do on the roll. And Richardson isn't quite that level that you want, but if he can have more games like this, maybe he gets the respect of the defense and draws more attention and does open things up for Simmons as a screener or Embiid when he's back. So you need Richardson to play like this. I'm just, I think it's a bit unfair and unrealistic to expect this from him with any consistency. Okay. So it is fascinating that you, you had written about the Sixers and something not being quite right. And they, they are, they're 25 and 14, but people thought, more highly of them. If the playoffs started today, they would be on the road for a first round series. And so people had much higher expectations of that. It is fascinating that right now, these teams have these amazing home records. Milwaukee, 18 and two at home. Miami, 17 and one. Philadelphia, they're 18 and two at home. They're seven and 12 on the road. So they, they're five games under 500 in their road games, yet they have this ridiculous home record. And we know that the two seed is insanely valuable this year uh, because not only are you going to stay away from Milwaukee until the conference finals, you know, we know that the top six of these teams are extremely good. And so it's not like you have a total buy if you're the one or two seed, but you you more, you're going to stomp whoever is seven and eight. And once you get to six, especially with Oladipo back, you're going to have a dogfight on your hands if you're between three to six. And so that two seed really matters. Uh, and so I'm torn here. The regular season and their record is going to matter, but we know that we judge everything on playoff success. If they are, uh, by, by most people's account, a bad matchup for Milwaukee, and they are a bad matchup for the Celtics, does that dissuade you from tweaking too much? Because as they are currently structured, they seem to be a bad matchup for two of the best teams. I don't, I don't think it's ever a bad thing to add a shooter to, you know, like, like for this team seeking the shooters that they are. I reported reported yesterday. They're in on guys like a Robert Covington and Etuan Moore. Um, even like a Glenn Robinson is a deep bench option. If you're able to get someone like him on the cheap, 
I don't think it's a negative at all to seek out somebody like that. No. Um, or like a Davis Bertans from Washington. Okay, so you're just talking about doing them something small on the margins. Look, I think that's what's realistic. Uh, that is what is realistically that's that's what can happen for Philadelphia. I threw out the idea in the article of going for somebody like Chris Paul because it touches on what I just mentioned about the impact Simmons could theoretically have as a screener can't happen with Josh Josh Richardson because Boston did this last night, and it's one of the reasons why Philadelphia didn't do it more because Boston's just going to switch the screen. You're just going to switch your your the guy you have on Ben Simmons, who's typically going to be a smaller player because he's not a threat to post up, and you're going to switch that guy with whoever is guarding Josh Richardson. Not a problem, and that's what teams have done and what they would do to neutralize that in a playoff setting. And for Philadelphia, I think adding a point guard like somebody like a Chris Paul, that type of construct, or a Kyle Lowry would be the ideal because of what it does for Ben Simmons in the half court, minimizing the need for him to even be a spot-up shooter in the corner because he, if, because he can be used as a screener. It, it adds to what Joel Embiid can be rather than him always being a guy who is on the block or spotting up. If you can use him even more often as a pick and roll screener, you need Ben Simmons still to spot up. But if you can have Embiid do that more with a point guard that can create, it opens up everything for what Philadelphia can do as long as that player isn't a liability on the defensive end of the floor, which Paul is not, which Lowry is not. Whether Philadelphia can afford those guys, well, they probably don't have the assets. They probably don't. They just don't. And that's what makes it unrealistic. But it's something that I think they should be thinking about. I think it's something that Sixers should at least Sixers fans should be thinking about and how that could change this team. Because imagine a Paul or a Lowry rather than a Horford or rather than a Harris on this roster and what it could do. Because that's that's ultimately the flaw with their offense, and that's one of the reasons why they struggle so much in the fourth quarters historically and why this season, projecting forward, that concern still exists. And that's what I would love for them to do, but I think it's more realistic that they just end up adding a shooter. Yeah, what's going to be fascinating, Kev, is while that was a good win last night, how do they look and how good are they in the next maybe several weeks. I mean, there was this hand doctor I saw this video of from NBC uh, Philadelphia. They brought on this guy who's not the guy doing the surgery, but he was trying to explain it and said, you know, I mean, the guy's going to get cut on and they take the ligament and they put it back where it came from because it's just torn off. And then they insert usually a bone anchor to hold it in there. And he said in a professional athlete, you know, four to eight weeks, would be the range where you start looking for him to get on the court would be his guess. And so if that's right, if this hand doctor that was right, um, it's a long time of playing basketball in obviously a very different way that they're going to have to play without Joel Embiid. And I'll be damned. I mean, the trade deadline is right in the middle of this. So if you do make a trade, whatever you look like with your newly acquired player is going to be radically different uh, than what you're going to look like when Embiid comes back in the lineup because he's yep. your guy. You know, and and that's one of the interesting things here because for Philadelphia, obviously, the goal here is to win a championship, right? That's the goal. And that's the expectation, and it should be when you have two guys like Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and a Josh Richardson and Al Horford a Tobias Harris. This is a team that should be talking about winning a championship. And 
if it comes in the playoff, let's say over the next however amount of time without Embiid on the court, the Sixers kill it. Let's say they perform at a high level and you're seeing Ben Simmons in what is closer to his ideal role. And then Embiid comes back and in the postseason, they lose, they fall on the, flat on their face in the second round of the playoffs. That conversation about do you have to break up Embiid and Simmons will be escalated. Right now, it's not, I mean, people talk about it, but it's not really a real thing. But if if it comes to that in the summer, after seeing Simmons potentially dominate over the next couple of weeks, after if the team were to fail in the postseason with Embiid and Simmons, that would be a conversation that happens. And we're we're a long, long ways away from that. But I think bef- between then and now, there's things Philadelphia can do and should do to minimize the, the chances that they do fail. And I think we've been through it a hundred times. Ben Simmons willingly spotting up and shooting from the corner would increase spacing for everybody in that team. If that happens, great. Also, it, it's important for him to be used more often as an on-ball screener, but it's tough without having a perimeter ball handler. And finding that guy is easier said than done. But then also adding more shooters surrounding yeah. these two, not, not like an average shooter in Embiid and a non-shooter in Ben Simmons. There's a lot that needs to change for a team that's already so good. And yeah, that, that's really the, the paradox of watching the Sixers here. They are so good, and yet there's still so much wrong. Well, and you like now what was you know I think a luxury because it wasn't a great fit necessarily, um, and Horford wasn't all that happy with the with the fit with Embiid. You know, if you considered him a luxury rather than a necessity, now he becomes a necessity. And so, if you were going to use Horford, you know, in order to stabilize another part that you think could make you better. Well, now that changes because like you're going to need Horford over the course of the next month and a half, possibly Uh, maybe two months. Who knows how long the guy's going to be out after he gets cut on his hand. But if you were going to use that piece, like they can't afford to move him without getting somebody big that can do something, you know, (laughs) so that changes that whole thing too. And you know, a couple of years ago, they went out. Remember, they got the the they played they played the buyout market, and Bellinelli and Ilyasova really helped them just by being guys that stretch the floor, as you were saying. Like it doesn't have to be the highest level guy; it's just somebody that fits best in order to stretch the court more. And it, they're going to be super fascinating over the course of the next month because you could see it go a bunch of different ways. You could see them not being good. Yeah, and then I could see them playing a different style and still being outstanding with guys doing more, right? Because of the absence of Embiid, um, you know the, the like I said, the Tobiases and the Josh Harrisons and and even Horford for that matter. So yeah. I don't know what's going to happen with them. I don't know what kind of record they're going to have. I picked them to make the finals in the East before the season. And I would and I would change that now to Milwaukee. Um, but this team still has that potential. I would still consider them the second best team in the East when they're playing at an optimal level. And then you look at the team that they've defeated three times now this season, 3-0 and against the Celtics. They're another team, like as good as they are too, they still have their own issues because of just what their offense turns into in the fourth quarters. And part of that is on the defense that the Sixers played. But part of that is just a negative trend for Boston where they just turn from this motion with movement over the course of the game. And then it just turns into just they're moving, you know, through quicksand in fourth quarters where it's isolations, isolations and no off ball movement. 
and it just does not work when with you when you don't have an elite perimeter scorer. And Kemba Walker is very good, and sometimes he's great, but he's not a, a top end perimeter guy. And then with Boston, a lot of the same questions that we can ask about Philadelphia, as in what do you do moving forward with Boston, the quest, same question arises. Hayward can become a free agent this summer. Jason Tatum will be a year away from getting a max deal in 2021 as a restricted free agent. I don't know if you can pay Kemba and Hayward and Brown and Tatum. That's a lot uh, for those four guys. And with Boston, the same type of questions come up. Is there a move to be made now proactively, maybe involving Hayward because he can be a free agent this summer in order to add either long-term stability to turn him into parts or to improve the overall team? Because I don't know. Like, well, for the, for Kev, he has not been the tough. same. You know this. He has not been the same. It looked like we were getting old Gordon Hayward back at the beginning of this year. And since he has come back, he has not been that guy. He's had moments, though. He, he has had some really good games. I know, I know it's Chicago, but he played well against Chicago. He played well against San Antonio this week, the first game of the back-to-back. Hayward is still performing well. He's not maybe what he was early in the season. Just, he but, looked but like he's all-star still, caliber at the beginning of the season. He, he's still having some really strong games, though. I think Hayward is a, a lot closer to being back than, than anybody could have expected after last season. All right. Uh, last night, we also had the Westbrook return to Oklahoma City. They gave him a great video tribute. Um, in true Westbrook form, he fueled that uh, with this emotion, and it almost looked like it got him hyped. You know, I've seen – you usually see guys, like, break down and cry, you know, um, and I think everybody was like, hey, is he, like, he going to show emotion? And, of course, the answer was no. <laughs> I mean, his emotion was getting fired up before the game. And then the game starts, and he was obviously super pissed off about uh, what took place in the game. He played good. Harden uh, had one of his worst games in a long, long time. And they get run out by this Oklahoma City team who has been very, very good. I mean, Chris Paul has been the best clutch player in the entire NBA. And you know, Kev, when all of these games are coming down to the very end of of the games in many cases. There's so many games in the last three to five minutes that are in the balance. He's going and winning these games for his team regularly. Um, and those are the ones in the balance. And then like even something like last night, it's not in the balance and he's and he's played great in the game. You referenced Billy Donovan uh, earlier this week and, and really praised him. And this three-guard lineup that they went to very quickly last night has been rather devastating what do you make of what happened last night in Westbrook's return? <laughs> I thought it was funny seeing Chris Paul just bury Houston with mid-range shots. <laughs> Crazy. You know, <laughs> I, I have I've thought about funny. this because you know, uh, you know, and I know uh I, I see these NBA teams, the the most of the time, the like number one on their list is to uh prevent getting killed at the three-point line, right? And then the next is to prevent getting killed at the basket. And so what you want is guys shooting the ball in the mid-range. And now you have these guys like Chris Paul, guys like DeMar DeRozan that are now feasting against these teams because they are able to routinely make that shot. I find this very fascinating, right? That it's almost like the yin and the yang. It, it, it's reminiscent of like, you know, everybody in the league got smaller and faster in order to deal with the passing games in the NFL. 
And then you have the Ravens who just decide we're going to just line up and mash your face in. And so maybe the guys that can hit these, the floaters and the mid-range stuff, they are now in this ironic way becoming a real asset. It, it was interesting. There was a play in the first quarter last night, and it was, I think, four minutes left. Harden drove on Gallinari, almost broke his ankles, and Harden has a step-back jumper from like 17 feet with 15 seconds left on the shot clock, and he didn't take it. He dribbled the ball back behind the three-point line and then took a contested three because Gallinari recovered, and Harden missed the shot. And I, I watched that early in the first quarter, and, and it was just amazing to see the difference in the style of play between Harden and then Chris Paul, who's just will- willingly and seeking out the mid-range. Um, I do think there is still val- there is still value in that shot. It's a fact. And teams still use it. Superstar players still use it. But sometimes we look at what James Harden does and we have this perception that a lot of star players are doing this. And Seth Partnow at, at The Athletic has written about this before. Um, it's really just the role players who have changed. Role players aren't taking pull-up mid-range shots as much. Role players aren't taking spot-up mid-range shots as much. They're just taking more spot-up threes. But star players across the league, including Chris Paul, and Russell Westbrook are still using the mid-range. It's really just Harden <laughs> who's who's playing this analytically driven game to the full extreme that we observe with him, like in that first quarter. Um, so to get back to your original point, there is still value in that. It's a fact, and a lot of star players are using it. Um, I wonder if maybe there will be more of a progression back towards that with how many teams that are giving that shot freely and allowing players to take it openly, like Harden had an opportunity to in the first quarter but didn't. Oh, well, look, I mean, I see it nightly where it's, you know, say, say for instance, the team I watch the most regularly, you know, Valentunas, on a pick and roll, he backs up all the way to the, like, near the basket. If you can hit a six, you play the team that can hit the six-foot floater, you're dead. Because they'll just hit him all night until he comes off and they have to replace him with the Jaron Jackson or whoever. But I mean, like, and you see teams doing this all the time. They will back up to the basket. They will allow you to shoot from, you know, all the way to six feet from the basket. And these, a lot of these players, they they can hit six foot floaters all night, you know. And somebody like Chris Paul, he could shoot ninety nine of a hundred, you know, <laughs> if you if you want to give him that. Um, it's still not a a preferred shot though. I mean, by the numbers, it's, it's, it's just not, I mean, like Chris Paul's numbers on, on floaters this season, I'm sure are very good compared to, and they are, he's shooting 49% on runners this season, according to synergy sports. And that's very good. Um, so it's for him, it's a good shot but for most guys. It's just not. Yeah. Um, and I, and it's interesting what you say about the role players and, and what they do, because you're right. There are a lot of, there are a lot of role guys now that all they do is either shoot threes or go to the basket. Um, like I'll take for instance a guy I know, Grayson Allen. Right? He he just, December he took two shots, two, and one of them was the end of a shot clock, two that were either not a three or a layup. And and to to make your point, that's happening all over the league, where that's the only shot those guys are taking. It's just. Harden being such a spectacular scorer, that's what we see from him. Uh, I tell you this, I would not want to see that Oklahoma City team. If they don't change a lot, I wouldn't want to see that Oklahoma City team, Kev, in the playoffs. 
because you get into these hard-nosed games in the playoffs. They're going to be able to play defense, um, and they are, if the game is in the balance, the last three minutes, I still want Chris Paul on my side, you know? Yeah. You know, and that's the funny thing with this team. I mentioned this with Philadelphia, that I think they should at least go for Chris Paul. I think Milwaukee should also be talking about going for Chris Paul. But if you're Oklahoma City, <laughs> it's like you got a good thing going right now. I know. And I, like Woj reported earlier in the week, you know, as have I before that, they are a team that is open to trading a Gallinari or a Steven Adams or even Chris Paul. But the fact is, is that I'm not sure there's a deal out there for those guys that's acceptable or makes total sense to actually make. And, and if that's the case, it is possible that they could be sneaky buyers. And if there's a right deal out there for a player that can help in the short term and the long term, you'd be making a deal for the long term because of where this team is and it's in its lifeline. But it's going to be interesting to see what they do over these next couple of weeks because they could go in either direction and either way. Either way, if they make a trade with Gallo or Paul or whoever, they get a really good thing going right now with their young talents, Shea Gildas Alexander being what he's turning into. That's a plausible matchup, what took place last night. You could totally see Houston being three and them being six. Yeah. And I would not hate their chances in that. Me neither. Okay, yeah. so he's a good team. I, before yeah. the before the year, like, I had some bad rankings of my preseason power rankings, but with OKC, I had them like 16th or 15th, something like that. And people were like, are you kidding me? They're going to stink. I'm like, what are you talking about? No, Look they at got this good roster. Players. They got good they got, players. They got good players. You're right. Chris, I, think the, I think the reason why is because the perception of Chris Paul after last season in Houston was that he was washed up. And that was just false. It was false. Well, and and, and was, here's the thing, Kevin. You, you and I, I was, talked about it. Oh, it and false. I was talking about this last night. Look, D'Antoni obviously did not want that trade. He did not. He, he even said on a podcast this summer, like, Chris Paul is still fantastic, and he is going he said that to, to be. that to me and, when and I interviewed him. <laughs> and he's going to have two more years. Like, he's still going to be good in two years. Okay, so let's say this. He's awesome this year. Let's say he's still really great next year, Okay. There's only one year on that contract after that, right? So yeah. all of a sudden, that contract that everybody said is poison pill, untradeable, all this, yet it's it looks better by the day in terms of hey, if this guy is you know this uh, kind of guy that uh, you know raises your ceiling and makes you good just by by being on your team. Well, if we if we if we accept that he's still going to be good next year. Then yeah, it's worth a it's a, it's a forty four million dollar contract in twenty one twenty two, and he's going to be thirty six. I get it, but if we're already getting another great value out of it, you know, if we accept that you'd be getting great value of it next season, you know, Chris Paul being good at thirty six would not shock anybody. He's not he's not forty six. And that's what Dan Tony said to me. You know, I asked him about the the way people were talking about him and what he can be moving forward. And granted, Dan Dan Tony's not going to trash any player, but he was genuine in what he said and the way he said it. And and he pretty much said to me, he he thinks Chris Paul over the next three years is going to continue to play at a high level and his numbers will go back up largely because of just how he is as a competitor and what he's done already to expand his game as he ages and the sacrifices that he's made. And that's what we saw from Chris Paul the last two years in Houston. 
he's somebody who dominated the ball for the for years in New Orleans and then Los Angeles. And then in Houston, he did take a back seat next to the superior player, the superior scorer in James Harden. But this year in Oklahoma City, the question came up about is Chris Paul going to take the ball out of Gilgis Alexander's hands too much and hurt his development? That does not happen. Paul is playing his role under Donovan's offense, which emphasizes ball movement and sharing the ball. And he is playing some of the better basketball we've seen from him in years because of his willingness to adapt and evolve within the system and do what's best for the team. So I think Paul deserves a lot of credit to for doing that as a player who is, who has been as great as he is as an orchestrator of great offenses, but now to sacrifice and be willing to play within the system. Got to really respect the guy for doing that. And it's one of the reasons why I also think Chris Paul is going to continue to be a successful, impactful player moving forward as long as he's healthy and hopefully he does stay healthy. Who would have known, Kevin, that Westbrook going back to Oklahoma City would cause a big fight between Kendrick Perkins and Kevin Durant, of all things? But this took over the Twittersphere last night um, as it started with Kendrick Perkins uh, proclaiming that Russell Westbrook was the best player to ever put on an Oklahoma City Thunder jersey. Um, Then, as he is protested with about this, uh, Durant finally clocks in because uh, you know Perkins says in response to uh, uh, Westbrook losing without Durant that Durant lost without Westbrook too, and per- and Durant fires off. Yeah, and our starting center Kendrick Perkins averaged a whopping two and three during that series. Durant replied, "You played hard though, champ." And then things really escalated from there, where it ends with Kendrick Perkins saying, "Boy, stop! You did the weakest move in NBA history." up on a team 3-1 in the Western Conference Finals, then go to them the following season, heart of a champion right there. And then uh, Week is uh, is starting at center, playing real minutes with no production. Durant retorted, should have worked on your skills as much as I did. And then Perkins got the last <laughs> word. That's fine. You worked that hard and still had to go join a 73-9 and team. Truth be told, you don't even feel like a real champ. You have a hard time sleeping at night, huh? Knowing that you took the coward way out. My God. Wow. I mean, I'm sitting there watching this. This is happening at about 10.30, 10.45 Central last night, and I'm like, oh, what is happening? Like, this got, this got very personal very quick. You know what I mean? Like it felt kind of like, like maybe they would, I don't know, I guess the whole, like the, (laughs) Hey, you averaged our starting average center average two and three, blah, blah, blah. Like, I guess I, I should have known Perkins wasn't going to just laugh that off. Um, but there was this moment where he says that and then, uh, and then Perkins says something back and then he says, uh, something to the effect of, uh, and you got that champ, right? Meaning, you know, he had, he's got a ring with the Celtics. And then you had like this Durant like handshake emoji. And I was like, okay, well, that that got that got a little uh heated for a minute. And then I mean, God bless, Perkins just goes scorched earth. You can't sleep at night. <laughs> I mean, God. I think the I think the unsung hero here is Mark D'Amico, the There's initial no the initial person who responded to, Ken, to Kendrick Perkins. Mark, who works, he does 
does Celtics TV stuff. Very good at what he does. He does these great film breakdowns of players that are that are just awesome to watch. Great stuff that he does. And he kind of like, you know, sparked this a little bit with Yes, by arguing with Perk. Perkins. Yes, because Perk originally is like best player to wear a Thunder uniform, Russell Westbrook. And Mark D'Amico is like, what are you talking about? It's not Russell Westbrook. It's Kevin Durant. And that's what got this started. So credit to, to Mark D'Amico for influencing this to start because, oh my God, it's beautiful way to end the night. Beautiful I mean, way to end the night. I mean, what, what, Twitter, like, I can't believe Twitter's free for stuff like this. This is amazing to watch KD and Perk. KD has called Perkins his favorite teammate ever before. These guys are friends. And KD himself did say, Perk, you know, has been shooting his little shots at me for, for some time now. And that's true. But man, to put this out there <laughs> publicly on Twitter, my goodness, thank you for the content and the, the, the laughs that we were given last night. But in a way, though, I'm not sure about you, Chris. I wasn't laughing as much as just my mouth just dropped. I was like, oh. wait a minute, wait a minute here. Is Look. this really happening here? But the thing is, it's the truth. Like, it's the truth that this was going to happen. And I still am shocked that Katie, when he did sign with Golden State, I, this was years ago, and I'm sure Katie's sick of us even bringing it up as fans and media, but this isn't something people were going to let go. And it's something that people within the league haven't stopped talking about. And something clearly his friends, like Kevin Kendrick Perkins, have not started talking about either about Kevin Durant. And I just wonder, well, what is it going to take for this to ever go away for Katie? Is it winning a championship in Brooklyn? Is that what it's going to take for people to be like, you know what? Forget it. You've won everywhere. It doesn't make a difference. There is, that- is a There is a level of decorum that is usually understood. And that is that this kind of stuff does not end up in the public. You know, like that is the kind of thing that Kendrick Perkins, I don't think he's doing it to get a rise or because he's got a media job now or making a name for himself (laughs) or anything else. I don't. I think he really... Perk Perk has been awesome, though, this season. I know, but he really thinks that. Like yes. I really, he, and, he speaks his mind, and yes, that's what and makes, I think per- a lot that's what of makes people, Perk so good. I think a lot of people really do. I think there's a lot of players that do, but it's the kind of thing that they would say to you if you were out for a drink, or if you were hanging out with them off the cuff. It's what they really think, but it is not something that they say. And and beyond that, look, let's say they are friends, right? Or at least at one time, we're really good friends, right? That is just so ridiculously out of bounds. I would be furious if I were Durant. If I were Durant and you're supposed to be like, you know what I mean? Like what? Hold on now. Like we've spent a lot more time together and we care about each other theoretically than a lot of people. You know what I mean? Like I don't know other people's families and I don't know all these people out there that are laughing at me now and doing the popcorn eating emojis and everything. I don't know all those people. Like, why is this happening out in public? You know what yeah. I mean? If you've got a problem with me, but I would. So to me on that level, just as look, I don't agree with what Durant did either. Okay. But on the and 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 being on Twitter has like never served him well. Like, is there anything good that has come from Kevin Durant being on Twitter? I'm unsure. I, I can't remember it. That being said, Kev, just as someone who you know, values loyalty a lot, I 
that is a weak ass thing to do to me for me if I am Durant. I get it. I get nobody likes his decision. Whatever. But this guy is supposedly my friend. We have been through battles together and everything else. Why are you firing off at me? And in fairness, Durant probably should have kept his mouth shut and not said anything about the Perkins and, you know, Westbrook. Just let that go. Let Russell Westbrook go back to Oklahoma City without incident. So he's not without blame. <laughs> he's not without blame. Like, it, was there anything more predictable than Kevin Durant somehow getting mad on Russell Westbrook's return? Like, of course, it was going to happen. And, of course, he was probably in his feelings. That being said, I don't know, man. Perkins putting putting that out there for everybody to point and laugh at KD. <laughs> While I enjoyed it on the entertainment level, on a friend level, if they are actually friends, that's messed up. You know, I, I, I think from a friendship level, you're right. And it's unfortunate as we saw two friends go at it in public the way in which we did. You can't um, sleep at night. Like that's the thing that your worst enemy says. That's a, like per, what Perkins did is not the actions of somebody that likes the other yeah. guy. It's the actions of somebody that hates the other guy. Seriously. Like that's the kind of thing you say about somebody you hate. That's like what an Oklahoma city fan tweets. Well, you can't sleep at night. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the funny thing. It's like I my guess is when Katie originally responded to Perk saying our starting center average a whopping <laughs> two and three. That is facts. <laughs> Katie was probably just, you know, joking tongue in cheek, right? He's not thinking anything of it. And then Perkins comes back yes. scorched earth. <laughs> I mean, if there's anything we learned is no, don't get in an argument with him because no, like but the, no, it's, it's kind of like uh you know when when Drake got in that rap battle with Pusha T and then he came back with the you're hiding a child and everybody's like oh my god <laughs> like like bro there's rules to this you know like <laughs> this is this is outrageous like I mean everybody got to that song and that line and you're like. Bro, this is so out of bounds. And like, that's kind of how I felt last night. While while both Pusha T and Kendrick Perkins entertain me, I can still, uh, you know, admit that like, bro, that's a bridge too far. You can't sleep at night. You don't feel like a real champion. Like, you know, that shit hurts. That hurts, man. <laughs> what, 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 one other thing before we move on from, from Perk and KD, I, I want to hear... Perkins do play-by-play because we got a tease of it a couple weeks back. He did play-by-play on a Celtics broadcast and he was awesome. Really? He was really good. Yeah, it was great. And I think Perk, there's a like, I know a lot of people on Twitter have mixed feelings about players only and how that worked. Um, But I do think with the right players, it can be great. And Perk with his perspective and with his honesty and his forwardness and his analysis of what's happening on the court, I think Perk would be really, really great as a guy moving forward on play-by-play at a national level. And I, and I hope, I hope we get that someday nationally because there's potential there with him. Yeah. Uh, regarding uh, Perkins, he also was on with Chauncey Billups on the jump with Rachel Nichols, I saw yesterday, and they were covering the beeline story, which then yep. took on a whole life of its own in terms of 
just relentless jokes. Last night, even uh, Charles Barkley referenced uh, Bone th- <laughs> Slugs in Harmony and like, <laughs> Bone Slugs in Harmony. And then you had, you know, Slug Matrimony and Slug Life and Sluggish Ruggish Bone. Slim Slug. <laughs> Has anybody heard the Young Slug album? I mean, okay, look, you know I like John Beeline. This is preposterous to have to come back and say I meant to say slugs. Um, I mean, it's just like uh, the, the idea that anybody would defend it is is outrageous. It's just, it's crazy. He screwed up and he screwed up bad. And... One of the things that strikes me regarding this whole beeline thing, and I was thinking about it when I was talking about um, the guy that was just hired by the Carolina Panthers, Matt Rule, right, for Baylor. So stay w- or from Baylor. Stay with me here. So many times when we see college coaches go to the professional level, they are the, 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 the absolute power when it comes to their college programs, right? You are to do as you are told. I am the leader and you are the follower. And there is a rigidness to these guys that is totally possible on the college level that is harder, that does not translate to the NBA. And yet you see the guys that have gone to the NBA, whether it is the Brad Stevensons or the Billy Donovans or guys that it has worked, and they are not those rigid guys. They would be what people say are, are players coaches they they deal with their players well and it's not my way or the highway where they are the great oracle and you are to follow me and then we've seen other guys that haven't had success that have moved from college to the NBA or to the NFL um that that's that's been one of the issues whether it's a Spurrier or Saban or whoever it may be and then in the NBA we've seen it too John Calipari Rick Patino you know these kind of guys that are cuss you out my way or the highway i'm i'm the smart one you just listen to me kind of like the old college professor um whereas the other guys are less rigid more players coaches and it works and i'm i'm struck by that and thinking about the beeline translation to the nba and hearing all of these complaints and then obviously this incredible mistake that he made uh with a locker room that he already by most reports has lost that you know, that is the thing. The guys that are the ones that can translate to coaching men in a professional league are the ones that can relate to them, the ones that you think are like, you know, cool guys, right? Whether it's Stevens or whether it's, uh, you know, Pete Carroll in the NFL or whoever it may be. And this beeline thing, this is just the latest in what has just been an absolute disaster there. Sure. And obviously with beeline, whether he said it or not, um, it's, it's unfortunate that that happened. Um, and odds are he did say it, it just misspoke or, or said the wrong word. It's, it sucks. And for the team to come out and play the way they did last night, getting an overtime win is interesting. Uh, you know, whether they're playing for beeline or whether they're playing for each other or for themselves, it was nice for Cleveland Cavaliers fans to see some life from that team, especially after what happened this week. But for Beeline moving forward, um, this team is going to change. The guys in the locker room are going to change. And after this happened, I think for him, it needs to be a significant learning experience and how to coach NBA professional athletes compared to college students. 
Um, and it's odd to learn yeah, that, it, you know, 40 difference. years into your career. Yes, it's you very know? hard. It's very hard for anybody to break any type of habit. Well, the no, only no, way. No matter how mundane it is in day-to-day life, it's hard to break habits. And the only way that these guys w- are, are cool with it is if you win like hell, right? Bill Belichick can act any kind of way, you know? And, like, you know what you're getting into when you go there. There's a culture established, and you know you are going to win, right? I saw it years ago with a, a, a guy, uh, Hubie Brown, who came in. He walked into the locker room his first meeting and said, you guys are a bunch of losers. That's the reason they hired me. You know what I mean? And, and everybody's like, Jesus. But, I mean, he ends up winning, and they end up getting better, and so they respond. But if you're going to, you know, be my way or the highway kind of guy and, you know, be uh, difficult, then you better win. You better get results. And the worst combo is that and not winning, then it's a disaster, right? One thing I want to touch on that you mentioned, you you mentioned Pete Carroll. He stunk his first stint in the NFL uh, with the Patriots. And with Beeline, he's so much further into his career, though, than a, a young Pete Carroll was when he was first hired. And there may never be a second chance for Beeline. So you got to figure this out very quickly in Cleveland. But not only that, though, you need your younger players to figure it out pretty quickly too. Somebody like Darius Garland in last night's game had probably his best game of the season, 20 points, seven assists, looked really good on the court for them. You need somebody like Garland to continue to develop and get better. Otherwise, as a coach, if you're having issues with the guys in the locker room because the losing or the way you're acting or because your system, whatever it may be, your time is going to run out pretty damn quickly. So it's not just Beeline who needs to get better. He, it's things that are o- somewhat out of his control, including the development of his younger guys, especially like someone like Darius Garland, who, by the way, like some of the criticism of him early in the season, let's not forget this guy played like two college games. He's barely played organized basketball in a year. And he has shown some flashes that have been impressive, especially from the perimeter. And last night was a taste of what he can be moving forward, hopefully with, with some consistency. And that's what Beeline needs for his offense to work as a guy who can be a creator like Garland showed he can be last night. All right, a couple quick things. Um, so on Tuesday, we did overreactions for the midseason, right? Um, I want to go ahead and ditch one of mine, and that is the Chicago Bulls being able to make the playoffs. I mean, they lost Wendell Carter. So, like, I mean, Wendell Carter has been, uh, he's had a good second year. He's their third leading scorer. He's their best rebounder. Best um, defender. And he's their best defender. And they can't afford to lose. They can't lose him. He's already a really good defender, period. You know, 20 years old, he's good. Yeah, they can't lose him. You know, when when people, you start, you have started to see the the Horford comp. Is that fair? You start to yeah, see like, I, I, 12 I, I and 10. I, I, I threw that defense. out there. Yeah. yeah. I threw that out there pre-drafts. That's yes. why I, I liked them over your guy, Marvin Bagley. Yep. And you have started to <laughs> see are, that. Are you on team Wendell Carter now too, Chris? I always loved when Wendell Carter was but, in my but, guys but that but won't team, fail. Team Wendell over Marvin Bagley. Oh, are absolutely you with me? not. That's ridiculous. Oh, that's ridiculous. No, that's crazy. Um, all right, so I, I was ho- I was hoping <laughs> I was hoping you were on the same team as no, me. No, but I mean, though. hey, Marvin Bagley needs to play basketball. I mean, this is yeah, well, two that's years part of it. Two years of hurt. Um, Avail- availability is the best ability. Hey, speaking of second year guys, 
I am going to see another one uh, in person tonight. The Spurs have turned it around. They are, uh, you know, Aldridge has been playing like an all-star. DeRozan has been absolutely out of his mind now for two weeks. Um, One of the best players in the league for two straight weeks. And they, uh, I'm going to see them in person. We expected that this would be a huge game because of this dreadful race for the eighth seed in the Western Conference, which is probably, Tim Bontemps wrote about this today. I didn't realize this. The last time a playoff team in the West had a losing record was 96-97. And that wow. was the Clippers at 36 and 46. So, and and look, it appears as if, it's it's hard to imagine. I suppose somebody could be 500, but it's probably more than likely that they won't be. Um, but the Spurs team, who I expected to take two losses this week, you know, ran out on the Bucks and then went and beat up on the Celtics. And as I said with the second-year guys, they finally ditched the Bellinelli thing, and they've put in Lonnie Walker the fourth. Yeah, Lonnie. And, and DeJounte Murray has begun to look, you know, back, you know, to kind of the guy that we saw before. Back, but better, because the shot yeah. looks good. Yeah, because he lost all of last season. And so you've had some tweaks to the lineup there. You've had Aldridge playing great. You've had DeRozan playing great. And now you have this race for the eighth seed. Um, I'm going to see him in person tonight, but like it, it is certainly worth paying attention to because they have, it, it's no small feat to in the same week, you know, beat the Bucks and then beat the Celtics. Sure. Right. Definitely. And, and I think it's cool to see somebody who wasn't playing early in the season now playing an important role. You mentioned Lonnie Walker, the way he's performed, giving such great effort on the defensive end of the floor, playing within himself on the offensive end when that was sometimes his issue in college was decision-making, but he's playing a really high-effort style of play, a smart style of play, and that's why Pop is probably rewarding him with minutes. He probably saw the advancement through practices and now he's getting rewarded with it. Well, and he's and we've, performing at a really good level for a second year It's player. two years in a row, Kev, that you and I have both called him out when we've gone to Summer League. And and I said earlier, you remember that Houston game, which was, ended up being very controversial. He was absolutely unbelievable in that game that ended up getting protested. And, and then he was just kind of away again. You didn't hear much from him for a little while after. And, you know, both years, his rookie year and then last year, you watched him in summer league and like, oh my God, this guy's better than everybody. He's he's the best guy on the court. And then it would get to the season and didn't, you know, he had injuries last year. Um, but this year, he just has not been in the rotation. And now he's been in the rotation and has been, you know, I mean, good, uh, the other night, he's, you know, it's still 20 minutes. But I mean, the other night against Boston, he's playing 19 minutes and getting 18 points and three rebounds and an assist and a steal. And I mean, he's doing stuff. I still don't love this team this season, but you know, there's still a lot of promise for the San Antonio Spurs team moving forward with their youth. Murray Forbes, Lonnie Walker, Derek Derek White White. has not been good as compared to what it looked like there was going to be an ascent still, but then, but then we also didn't just touch on Jacob Pertle, who is a really good rim protector. Who's good on switches and granted because he can't space the floor for you. His, his peak might be limited, 
but he's still a good rotation big man to have. And there's some promising players on San Antonio. Um, but still, if you're talking about what future you're taking, you're not taking San Antonio's future over the bright future Memphis Grizzlies. They are, they they look really, really, wow. really good. And if they win tonight, are they the eight seed? Unfortunately, because you know it, it was expected that the that the Spurs were going to lose to the Bucks and then lose to the Celtics, and so that this would be uh, all of a sudden the Grizzlies are a playoff team. They would actually be tied after. T- I mean, this is they, they would have a slightly higher win percentage, so they would yep. be the eight seed. They they would <laughs> so they would be the eight seed if Memphis wins tonight. Yeah, but wow. I mean, I saw we we I I saw the Spurs in person. Uh, about two weeks ago, and they put up 145 on the Grizzlies. So here's hoping I don't see that again. I, I want to. I, I don't know if I. It can was get honestly away from- in 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 whatever it's been 19 years that I've covered the team. It's the it's the most unbelievable offensive performance I've ever seen. I'm not kidding. Hmm. I've never seen a team shoot like they shot. It was. I think Aldridge had 20 in the first quarter. It was the most insane. <laughs> they were like 18 of 21 in the first quarter, and they're like jumpers. It was, well, that was insane. That was, that was the game uh, the other week. Jay Crowder showed he was better than Kawhi Leonard shooting the heck out of him. Yeah, right. They scored 140. <laughs> That's right. Um, <laughs> hey, hey, the other thing is uh, this week, I did just want to shout this guy out because while Minnesota is a rat team, especially without towns, <laughs> um, they hit on Culver, Kev. He is, he's, he's a player. I really liked him. I've seen him now twice in person. Um, obviously had the big dunk last night, the highlight dunk, but they 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 hit that one. I am uh I'm a fan of him and I am excited to see what he grows into in the league. I know you were high on him uh in the NBA draft, but he he is he shows well and you you just watch him and you see it. You see that this is a guy that has a chance to become a really good player in this league. Yeah, you know, and he's been good defensively for them. The offense is coming along slowly. Um, yep. He's probably also been put into a role that he couldn't have expected to have had. He's oh, running a not. lot of the offense for them this soon for him. Um, it's a lot on his plate, so it's nice to see some steady progression over the course of the year. And you've you talked about this before the draft, how hard he works. And there's no doubt that regardless of what his potential is, whether it's good rotation player or star or superstar, whatever it is, he's got to reach his potential within his own environment. Uh, Hopefully the environment is good for him with his development, but whatever situation he's given, he's going to maximize that because of his work ethic and his mindset. Yeah. I remember uh, there's a guy, uh, the guy I worked with for many years, Glenn Cyprian, who was on the Texas, uh, uh, Texas tech staff last year. And when I was asking about all kinds of different players to him, of course, I was I was talking to him about Culver, and I said, yeah, I didn't put any highly, highly ranked players on the in the article this past year, but he said to me, he said, look, if you're looking for a guy on that whole do not fail list, I promise you, Chris, you could put this guy. He said, because he, I was like, his, his mom runs a charity, the dad is our team chaplain, and he's a pastor. He is like an absolute great kid. He works like crazy, and he said, he, they're not exactly the same, he said, but the guy he reminds me of is a player I coached at Texas A&M, and that was Chris Middleton. Yeah. And I remember, I, I'll, I'll never forget him saying that, you know? And look, if you ended up with Chris Middleton, you ended up with, I mean, Chris Middleton is about to make $200 million in the NBA, and he's made an all-star team, and he's on the best team in the league. 
you know, <laughs> in my draft guide this year, the comps for him were Chris Middleton, Malcolm Brogdon, and then a low end comp was Jeremy Lamb, which is not yeah. bad. No, uh, but but a, like a combination of Middleton and Brogdon with some of Brogdon's playmaking and decision making skills, and then Middleton as a scorer and defensive player, that would be a great combination to have moving forward for the Timberwolves next to Cat. Yeah, no, I think that this guy is going to grow into something. Yeah, I know the numbers aren't great, but you can see it. You can see it. They they hit on him. He's he's going to be a player. The main thing is the shot needs yep. to get back to being what it was as a sophomore at Texas Tech because he is not a natural shooter. Um, and that that was that's one of the drawbacks with him as a prospect. But if he can get that shot mastered to that's, his own abilities, then then that's big for him. Obviously. And we know that is the easiest thing to improve. You know what I mean? Just get in the gym. Uh, I don't know. It about is. That. I don't know. About oh, that. oh, come on! Like, if, if people look. Who's it's the best it's, player? It's it's more than just getting in the room. Some guys just don't have good feel. It can be a bio. It can be a biomechanical issue. Like, look at Cam Reddish. Cam Reddish has always had picture perfect looking shooting form, and but he's never shot well. He's always been a low thirty percent three-point shooter he wasn't high school he wasn't college and then after college me included have said well he looks great you know over time you know maybe that shot gets better and maybe it does but it's still the same questions now in it with atlanta that it wasn't college high school sometimes, a lot of things. sometimes it can you, be biomechanical it's hard to get bigger it's hard to get stronger it's hard to get faster you know and, and sustain it all for a long long time there's a lot of things that you are just blessed with and that's what you are shooting is a skill and we have just seen too I, many over the years yeah. yeah, Kawhi Leonard and it's, Jason it's Kidd than, and Kyle it's more Lowry than just a skill. And, it's no. more than a skill. Stephen Curry is not just get because he was in the gym more than anybody else. He's blessed with elite hand-eye coordination. He's blessed with elite feel. He's he's blessed with the ability to. I will bet you that Steph Curry actually did take more shots than anyone ever when he was a kid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, but I'll that's, bet you. But that's not why he became a shooter. It's a lot of factors, many of which are out of his control. It's what sometimes it's what you're born with. And then how that is developed and nurtured over time. It's it's not nature versus nurture in anything in life. It's nature and nurture and how they interact I, I, with I each other and making how the we're person about what they this are. When you have seen so many guys that were not shooters become shooters, yeah, like, of course you can improve that. There's a all, lot of things no, you can't. All, that all, you can. all, all I'm arguing is your point that it's the easiest thing to improve. It's not the knock on Cam Reddish. By the way, is that he doesn't work. Like, that's the knock. It's literally what people said coming into the draft. He doesn't love it. He's not a gym rat. He's not the guy that's going and shooting 20,000 times a day. That's a so, knock, I mean, too. That's it's easy to too. write off and just say, oh, it's biomechanical. Like, how about, how about he goes and shoots 10,000 shots a day and we'll find out? Like, you can get better at that. I, I, I believe that that is... Uh, something that is true like look with cam it could it could be something like that he's doing with his fingers and he needs the right shooting coach fingers. to fix it it could Just be get that in the gym and it, 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 it could it could be it could be that he doesn't wear contacts and he needs to get his eyes fixed it could be a mental block that he has it could be so many factors other than just like go to get in the gym and get more shots there's so much that goes into every skill on the floor and shooting shooting isn't just a rep thing it's not just that. It's there's a lot more that goes into the success of a shooter. Unless how do you how do you disagree with me? Because unless the first thing is done, I won't accept the others. And do I believe that he has worked a lot on his shot? 
and now we're at this point where we can Fair just enough. say, okay, there's something else wrong. If I dedicated my life to shooting, if you could to, become if, a good if, shooter, if, if yeah, but could I become a, gr- a great shooter? Yes, could, maybe, maybe I could. Maybe it's within my abilities, yes. but not not everybody has the touch or the feel to do that. Or the court, when you're in the NBA, you do. Come on, when you're if you've I gotten to this point, that's it's just, not true. I, I, I we have seen over the years a million guys that quote couldn't shoot become guys that could shoot i've seen it and then we've also seen guys who couldn't shoot still not be able to shoot like like we have stanley johnson and justice winslow who's gotten better but he's still not a great shooter like we we have these guys we we have a Kawhi leonard who goes from average to great we don't not everybody is a Kawhi though some guys just stay as average shooters we saw michael kid girl chris work with mark price who oh changes God. mechanics and he still can't shoot. Is oh. that is that because he doesn't work hard, or is it because maybe there's just some issue with him biomechanically, with his, within his fingers or within his arms, or something with the way his brain works and looking at the rim and focusing on the rim and putting the ball where he wants it. Not everybody has vision like a Nikola Jokic, where he can just pass the ball and it goes bullseye well, where is, he wants that's it. That's not a skill. That is a right. Yes. Like that is, Exactly. It's you can't something develop that. You, just have. that. you can't right. develop Bingo. that. Exactly. You can't just develop that. Thank you. But you can develop into a good shooter. Not if you don't have at least the requisite amount of hand-eye coordination or whatever is going on in your fingers that has to do with feel and touch and how it interacts with the the mystery of our brain and how oh, it works. Oh, for God's sake. There's Here so much go. more. There's so much more than just getting reps. Okay. <laughs> Okay. That's so what I'm like, <laughs> all of these guys, all of these guys that we talk about. Not everybody could practice guitar all day. So and become I guess Jimi they Hendrix. Just, I guess they I just. Can't, d- I can't be Jimi Hendrix. Oh, I guess. No I guess how Ky- much I, I guess, play guitar. I guess Kyle Lowry. I can't and, be David Gilmore because of his magic fingers and the feel and the touch that he has when he bends notes in the guitar. I can't do that no matter how much I practice. Again, I don't think you're understanding the difference in this. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm not. All, all, all I'm saying these is are that, God-given gifts that you are comparing. Like, look, I'm not saying that I yeah. can go practice and I can go try to jump every day of my life. I'm never going to be able to dunk, Kevin. I'm never going to be able to. I could go out there and I could jump every day of my life and I could get the shoes with the little weird soles on them and I could do anything. I'm never going to be able to dunk. There's going to be a limitation on that. But... The, the the limitation on your ability to shoot, we have seen so many guys over the years that were couldn't shoot that became guys that could shoot. It is the easiest thing to fix. That's what I said at the beginning. And I, disagree, I, and I disagree with you for all the reasons that I listed. It's not just reps. None of which apply. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a difference between a God-given gift and a limitation from that. And what? a limitation in being able to shoot a basketball. Yes, but you know they I mean? they interact with each other though. Okay, all right. That's all. Uh, right. Jarrett Culver is going to end up being good. That was the point. Uh, yeah, I I like him. <laughs> I, 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 we agree. <laughs> I had him ranked third, <laughs> which might be too low. Oh, might be too know, low. Yeah. I had Zion one, R.J. Barrett two, which we'll see. <laughs> well, so wait a wait a minute here. Why? <laughs> How is that your reaction? <laughs> How, 
wait a minute here. Wait a minute. You just <laughs> wait a minute. You just got done talking about how Culver works so hard. He's gonna be able to fix his shot as a, I'm, I'm as a forty. Culver shooting forty three percent from the free throw line. Twenty five percent from that. three. I'm laughing about not hearing John Morant's name yet. That's what I'm oh, laughing about. Okay, okay, yeah. I had Ja ranked too low. I had Ja four behind Culver, which was too low. I I admit that. By, too low behind Culver, too low behind uh, RJ, and maybe look, look, too low were, behind Zion. <gasps> if, if I were ranking, if I were re-ranking right now, it would be obviously Zion one, Ja two, Culver three. Really? Yeah. Okay. All right. Kevin, have a great weekend. <laughs> I hope you have a great weekend as well, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go shoot basketball. Thanks to Bobby Wagner for producing. If you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review on iTunes. Five stars, five stars. It really helps. And we will talk to you on Tuesday. <laughs>